another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from the monsoon-like Pacific Northwest, it is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It, as you mentioned, it is a little blustery. I saw a piglet and an owl both float by. I'm nice and cozy inside, despite the power going out for a little while. We're back and we're ready to rumble. Let's see how quickly we can fit this in because we both had power outages due to this rain and wind all up and down the West Coast. But we've got a lot to talk about today. Mark has got a uh, very interesting story for us about not one, but two guys that share the same name. Both have some rather interesting stories that we're going to talk about. But before we do that, let us, as always, make sure to get warmed up. Let's jump into a little BP and talk some uh, shorter stories here. First of all, Mark, I want to, before we get into the, the postseason that we've been having here in the World Series coming up, I just want to ask, do you have any idea who is the suckiest player to ever play professional baseball? The suckiest? The suckiest. And I knew, I realize that's not a word, but I, I'm going to phrase it that way. Who's the suckiest player to ever play baseball? Joe Slobotnik? Very close, of, of Charlie Brown and the cement. Was it he had feet of cement or something? But uh, Yes. No, I am talking about none other than Charles Anthony Tony Suck. <laughs> so now it, it's not just his name. He was not a good baseball player for the most part. Tony Suck, he has he's, his positions are listed as catcher, shortstop, and center fielder. He played for two years in professional baseball back in 1883 and 1884. He played for three different teams during that time. He spent the entire 83 season with the Buffalo Bisons. And then in 84, he split time between uh, Chicago of the uh, of the old United Alliance League and the Baltimore Monumentals, which uh, Monumentals. they were named as such because Baltimore, at least at that point, had the most monuments of any city in the country. Oh, Okay. There's a little deep dive for you there. But Tony Suck, as I was saying, lived up to his name. In those two years, he accumulated 205 at-bats, and he batted a whopping 151, on-base percentage of 205, and a slugging of 161. So his batting average was 151, and his slugging was 161. <laughs> that equates to two extra base hits, both of which were doubles. Nice. Zero RBI, never knocked in another player. He did walk 14 times and only struck out four times, though. But, well, that doesn't suck. Yeah, but in 1984, though, there was they didn't list his strikeouts. So I'm guessing it was probably more. Uh, this does equate to an OPS plus lifetime of 24. That being said, we're, we're, we're kind of making fun of his, his on-field play. He was actually a very highly regarded person in Chicago and especially in minor league baseball. He was described as easygoing. He played amateur and semi-professional baseball up till the end of his life, which was unfortunately at only the age of 36 when pneumonia got him, as tend to happen back in, in those days. But uh, I just thought it was very interesting to be named Tony Suck and then not really do very well. And, <laughs> and it, it did also extend to his, his defense as well. I told you that he was a, a catcher, an outfielder, and a shortstop. If we look at his fielding uh, stats, in those two seasons, he committed 32 errors. 
Yeah, that that sucks too. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, not a lot of people know this. He had a cousin named Robert. I'm really good at baseball. So <laughs> I couldn't find him. Yeah, it's a weird spelling. Yeah, and there's all these hyphens. I get them all mixed up. Yeah, but, uh, and some weird there. characters. He was like Swedish or something. He was. Uh, this show this week is debuting on October 26th. Not surprisingly, there nobody made their debut today. Two things uh, actually happened today. A couple of different years, but we're going to go chronologically here. Let's start back in 1985. Game six of the World Series and Don Denkinger and his controversial ninth inning call at first base. Royals versus the Cardinals. Jorge Orta, or is it George Orta? I'm, so, yeah, you take your pick. It's spelled like Jorge Posada, and some yeah. people called him George. So is is called safe on a play at first base when uh, Jack Clark fields a dribbler to Todd Worrell, who was covering. A very spry Whitey Herzog comes jogging out of the deck out there. He was, <laughs> Whitey had something to say. Yeah, well, I mean, he was he was still pretty slim back at this point, but it is clearly, he is clearly not safe. And why this didn't go to review, I don't understand. I mean, this is what Instant Replay was made for, right? Sure. But <laughs> for some reason, yeah. Uh, but that was, that was fun to hear Al Michaels on the call there. This was the very first World Series I ever watched. And, and remembered and paid attention to. And I That's remember cool. this this pretty clearly. And uh, that would go on and, and help the uh, Kansas City Royals beat the Cardinals. So uh, a big play. I, I remember that series vividly um, because I was, I was really pulling for the team that, you know, didn't do so well. And I was kind of brokenhearted because I'd really paid attention to that series. Also, what I wanted to talk about today, October 26th in 2005, two things happened on this day I wanted to talk about. First of all, Ozzie Guillen became the first foreign-born manager to win a World Series as the uh, White Sox beat the Astros. Yeah, that one hurt. That one I, I had certainly, you know what, I think I was probably rooting for the Astros in that one because I've never been an Ozzie Guillen fan. But yeah, the, me neither. I didn't know that the uh, White Sox were called the Wizards of Ozzy that year. That one I had never heard of. That's uh, interesting. It's it's pretty witty. Yeah, it's it's, it's, oh, it's okay. It's no, you know, Wheeze Kids or Gas House Gang or even Wiz Kids. But I, I like the Wheeze Kids better. <laughs> um, at that point, Ozzy was 41 years old and was the youngest manager to ever win a World Series. I don't know if that is still true. I tend to believe that maybe somebody younger has won since then. Like, I don't know. How how old was A.J. Hinch when he, quote-unquote, won the World Series? I, yeah, that's a good question. You have to ask Alexa. Or Joey Cora. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have to look that up and, and circle back next week. What is strange, though, is also on the very same day in Japan, Bobby Valentine became the first foreign manager to win the Japan Series. Wow. Sweeping the Hanshin Tigers, the former Rangers and Met skipper led the Chiba Lote Marines to their first league championship in 31 years. No kidding. 
Bobby Valentine's an interesting guy. Yeah. I mean, it was destined because the Hanjin Tigers are cursed. <laughs> That's right. We've, we've talked. <laughs> they're, they're, you want to go back to a real early show, you can find out why. Oh, but yeah, it was a great show. That was, that was, it was. That was a lot of fun to talk about the, the Hanjin Tigers in Japanese baseball. So uh, let us move to our trivia question. I asked a trivia question last week, and uh, I am severely underprepared here today because we got a lot of people giving us a lot of answers, many of which are right. I am afraid I do not have a list here in front of me, so I apologize for that. But my question was, who is the only player in the modern era to lead the league in home runs in a season without actually hitting a ball over the fence? So you know that this had to be a, a pretty old player because these are basically all inside the park home runs. Mark, do you have the any clue yes. who that was? Well, I'm going to guess home run Baker. No. Because it's a, in his name. That's a very, very good guess. But no, that, that was uh, not the case. In 1909, Ty Cobb led Major League Baseball with nine home runs, all of wow. which were inside the park. There you go. He was a fast dude, so. Yeah, he could hit and he could run. That's what I heard. Uh, all right, so uh, again, I apologize. I don't have a list. We did we did have a lot of answers for this, and a lot of people got that right, so I am very proud of our listeners. I've got another one here that I think is very answerable, but it's also very timely as we move towards the World Series, the Atlanta Hammers, the Houston Astros. Uh, I am really torn about this World Series as much as I do don't care for either team, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm hoping both teams have fun and uh, nobody cheats and uh, I'm probably going to root for Atlanta. Throw but, that in, didn't you? Had to throw that in. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> as long as there is still a player on that team that was involved in that, you cannot not mention that. I get it. You know, they brought it upon themselves. As, as our listeners may know, I'm, I am an Astros fan and I, I'm considering myself to possibly be the only person outside the state of Texas who's rooting for the Astros in this World Series. I was not into baseball at that point, but that is awful. Yeah, that was not <laughs> Oh, good. that's terrible. That was not good. Uh, but I, I think I will be rooting for the Hammers, just not too much. But what I want to talk about, though, is uh, a player on the Hammers, Mr. Eddie Rosario. Mm -hmm. who's had an incredible postseason here, especially in NLDS. Eddie Rosario had 15 triples as a rookie in 2015. That's a lot. Uh -huh. That's like Ryan Sandberg-esque. Yeah. <laughs> and also like Ryan Sandberg, uh, three is the most he has hit in a season since. <laughs> that is such a weird stat. That is, it's weird. How are triples, like, cyclical? How can you be... Uh -huh. <laughs> have a triple stroke one year and then never again. Regardless, we can't have though. a triple stroke. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it exists. Well, he had I one. Think Rhino had they one. They just come in bunches. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're, they're just like a hot streak. But uh, here's my question. Who hit the most triples as a rookie? Hmm. Well, that is it. Uh, let us know if you've got an answer for that. Yeah, make sure to hit us up on uh social media. We've got an email address. We'll tell you all that at the end of the show. So if you don't know how to get a hold of us, you got to wait. This is this is called teasing. So you got to wait to figure out how to get a hold of us and let us know what you think the answer is. But that's at the end of the show. Let us now let the ground screw come out, do their stuff. They're going to they're going to chalk the batter's box. 
they are going to chalk the lines even. They're going to put out some fresh bases. And while they do that, we are going to have Mark come in. And Mark, you're going to tell us about kind of an angel-devil situation with uh, two guys that share the same name. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because I, I read a quick little blurb on a guy named Dutch Leonard, baseball player, Dutch Leonard. So, And I read a couple things about him. He was pretty controversial. So I thought this might be something fun to talk about. And as I started looking him up and I was doing my research and I'm taking my notes and I'm like, this guy didn't do anything controversial. In fact, he was a pretty good guy and uh, a pretty good ball player. And I don't understand. Then I realized that the one I was, the Dutch Leonard I was looking at had actually been nicknamed after the original Dutch Leonard. <laughs> so it was the original Dutch Leonard from much earlier that uh, I was supposed to be looking at. But then the contrast between personalities really hit me. And I thought, well, let's talk about both the good Dutch Leonard and the evil Dutch Leonard. First of all, the good Dutch Leonard, he spent 20 years in the big leagues and he threw what we call a nasty knuckleball. And, uh, you know, much to the chagrin of his own catchers and all the umpires, he started at age 24 and he pitched till he was 44 as knuckleballers tend to do. Great quote I saw from Jackie Robinson. He said uh, about Leonard's knuckler, it comes up, makes a face at you, then runs away. Well stated, Jackie. One reason I, I decided to talk about him is, is he's got a couple of connections with some previous shows. His manager with the Dodgers was Max Carey. We did a show on Max Carey. Yeah. Yeah. I, and uh, it, it's an interesting one. Carey was, uh, Max Carey was an interesting, different kind of player, leadoff type quick guy. And it's a pretty good story about him if you want to go back and listen to the archives. Sabre had a really good quote about the Dodgers of that year. It says, the Dodgers were past the days when they were lovable losers. They're known as the Daffiness Boys. They're still losers, just no longer lovable. So that's kind of a bummer. Our boy Dutch Leonard was assigned to room with uh, a guy that was kind of fading. Uh, and we've talked about as well, a guy named Hack Wilson. Oh. And uh, yeah, so he was rooming with Hack Wilson and... Wilson was pretty busy drinking himself to death at that time. He wasn't the player he always was. And uh, interesting story. One night, he demanded that the rookie join him for a beer, then slapped the bottle out of Leonard's hand, sobbing, and told him to stay away from the booze so he wouldn't end up like <laughs> Hack Wilson. There's Hack yeah, I don't know, helping the next generation. I don't know. Would you drink yourself to death if you could have a career like Hack Wilson lead the league in RBI for how many 191 yeah. reviews in one season yeah i'd consider it yeah i'm i like alcohol <laughs> enough <I'm... laughs> that's terrible um don't drink here's this. another interesting stat he uh, dutch leonard led the national league with eight saves in 1935 but nobody knew it because saves was not yet a statistic i thought that was kind of cool you know he was a, he was a closer and didn't even know it nobody knew it he ended up uh, with the washington senators and they actually had in 1944, their rotation was four knuckleballers, Roger Wolf, Johnny Nijling, Mickey Hafner, and Dutch Leonard. And the catcher was 38-year-old Rick Farrell, and you know, you know he couldn't sleep at night thinking of all these knuckleballs. Well, he's 38, court. too. That's old for a um, catcher, and you got to, oh, man. Yep. Yeah, interesting. He, uh, he was so, you know, just taken aback by all these knuckleballs, he and Bill Dickey were the first to use actually a flexible mitt at catcher rather than just like a pillow, you know, the, sure. the flexible mitt, which you could catch it one-handed, 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and so that's kind of where things changed up. But Farrell was known for even when he was warming up the knuckleballers, he was always in full gear. And I, who could blame him? Leonard had a good career, not a great career. He was very productive. He, uh, after he retired, he became a school counselor and he mentored dozens of students throughout his career saying, if I could just help one kid overcome the struggles I dealt with, it will all be worth it. And that's the good Dutch Leonard. See, what a good guy, right? Uh, Mark, I got, I got a couple of things here for the good Dutch Leonard. (laughs) Right on. I love that we have to call him good and bad Dutch Leonard. So the movie 42 you know, the biographical movie about Jackie sure. Robinson. We like to talk about pop culture and, and movies and stuff. Uh, C.J. Nitkowski, former Major League pitcher, played the role of Dutch Leonard, who pit, who faced Jackie Robinson. No you kidding. even gave a quote about him earlier. Oh, that's right. C.J. Nitkowski. Yeah. Uh, also, Elmore Leonard, crime writer. I mean, he's written a million things. Uh, Justified on FX, one of the greatest series in the history of television. Elmore Leonard wrote. Uh, It was based on his books. He was nicknamed Dutch in honor of Dutch (laughs) Leonard. No kidding. I don't know how those two came came together. I don't know if Elmore Leonard was a baseball fan, maybe. I don't know. And then finally, and this might be one of my favorite things, in 1948, Dutch Leonard was traded to the Cubs for Eddie Waitkiss, who we have talked about on a past podcast. He yeah. is the real-life inspiration for The Natural. He was shot by a fanatical fan and uh, then came back and won Comeback Player of the Year and, and had a, you know, a pretty decent career after that as well. It all comes together. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I just saw this too. He was actually traded with Frenchie Bordegray. We did an entire episode on Frenchie because Frenchie was a piece of work. Frenchie was yeah. very eccentric. <laughs> but uh, just another one of those past guys. It's kind of cool how many episodes we've done. We've got all these guys are starting to get intertwined. Yeah, you know, uh, Frenchie Bordegray uh, actually invented beef Bordegray. It's a, a wonderful dish. <laughs> <laughs> that my wife likes to take on uh, that is false. That is Arbor Day. That is one hundred percent false. All right, tell us now. Let's get on and talk about the evil Dutch Leonard. Yeah, do you got any evil music in play here? Yeah, it's it's playing. <laughs> well, the evil Dutch Leonard. We're looking back in uh, uh, nineteen eleven about where we're going to start. Um, he was called Dutch. I, I include this because I don't get it. He was named Dutch because he, and I quote, looked like a Dutchman. Checks out. I don't understand what a Dutchman looks like, I guess. I, I'm staring I at up, a picture of him, and if if I envision him with wooden shoes and putting a finger in a, in a dam to keep it from leaking, this is what I think of. Well, maybe you, but I looked up Dutch masters, and they all got like powdered wigs and really tall I think he went hat. back too far. Yeah, I think that's um, your problem. So I, my guess was that he actually had a powdered wig and he played it. I didn't know. So that was the only uh, Dutchman I had to, to look up. So I appreciate you clearing that up. Don't say I don't help this podcast out. Oh, I would never suggest it. Dutch was uh, picked up by the Philadelphia Athletics, signed him in 1911. And uh, with their rotation, and we know some of these guys, Jack Coombs, Eddie Plank, Chief Bender, Cy Morgan. Uh, he never even got to appear in a game. So the next year, he joined the Red Sox, and uh, he hurt his arm and ended up 
getting sent to the New England League. His first outing there, he got completely bombed, and he went back. He just left the team. He just decided he was leaving, and he went back to the Boston headquarters, and he said to uh, their club president, Jimmy McAleer, I don't get any support. It's a rotten league. I won't play there anymore. And uh, for some reason, they said, oh, okay. And they sent him to Denver of the Western League. He pitched pretty well there. He won 22 games. He struck out 326 batters in 241 innings, which is pretty impressive. Nice. But he was also suspended for insubordination. We're starting to get into a little bit of a pattern here. Yeah, it might be a red flag there. He uh, did make the rotation the next year, so he was was playing better. In in 1920, they uh, decided to ban the spitball. But he was grandfathered in. He was a spitballer, a shine baller. He he actually uh, did well with the, and he pitched that thing. The older he got, the more he threw the spitball. In 1914, he actually had a pretty impressive year. He posted an amazing 0.96 earned run average. And that is the lowest mark in the 20th century and the second best of all time behind Tim Keefe's 0.86. That was in 1880 for the Troy Haymakers. Well, his ERA plus for that year was only 279. So, <laughs> <laughs> and his whip was only 0.886. I'd like to see his strat card. Uh, he uh, pitched 224 and two thirds innings and struck out 176. He had the league's best strikeout rate of 7.05 Ks per nine innings. And he lowered his walk totals from 90 to 60. He did hit eight batters, but, they were probably like Craig Biggio and Ty France who just got in the Anyway, for the season, he allowed 24 earned runs and 10 unearned. He went 19 and 5. And that's not a bad year right there. Yeah, and so they gave him a raise, 5000 a year. And uh, he reported uh, the next year completely out of shape and unready to go. And he started only three games in the first six weeks because he was in bad shape. Uh, he was then suspended by the club for insubordination. Leonard apparently accused the club owner, Joseph Lannon, of undermining manager Bill Kerrigan's authority and mistreating his players. So that didn't go over well. Leonard, uh, he proved to be more durable over the next two seasons for the Red Sox through a combined, listen to this, 568 and two-thirds innings from 1916 and 1917. His record was 34 and 29. Um, He threw his first no-hitter. In 1916, 4-0 shutout over the St. Louis Browns. He uh, won his second and final World Series start that season, pitching Boston to a 6-2 victory over Brooklyn in Game 4. Red Sox won another series in six games. And in 1918, Dutch pitched his second no-hitter over the, this time over the Detroit Tigers. Prior to the 1919 season, he was included in a trade to the Yankees that sent Ernie Shore and Duffy Lewis as well. Now, Unlike those two, Leonard never appeared in a Yankee uniform, and he became a salary holdout. Once again, Leonard demanded that his entire salary from 1919 be deposited into a savings account, which really upset Jack Rupert, who said, no man who doesn't trust my word can pitch from my team. Me too, Jack, me too. And he was uh, not well-liked and sold to the Detroit Tigers for $12,000. Now, prior to the 1922 season, Another salary dispute. Yes, this time with Detroit owner Frank Navin. Uh, he refused to meet Leonard's demands. Leonard, in turn, said, screw the reserve clause. And he decided to go play for Fresno of the independent San Joaquin League. 
and of course was suspended from Major League Baseball until two years later when he pitched so well, they just couldn't keep their hands off him. Detroit picked him back up. Now, he was playing for Detroit for manager Ty Cobb. And those two, they did not like each other. Cobb would actually say that Dutch Leonard was one of only two players he ever intentionally spiked during his career. Ty Cobb saying this, Leonard played dirty. He deserved getting hurt. Now, since he was managing him, he continued to let him know that he didn't like him and he uh, would overplay him and throw him out there to pitch and just leave him in there. Team physician warned, hey, you're going to do permanent damage to the pitcher's arm. And Cobb said, so what? And when Dutch Leonard finally protested that his arm hurt, Cobb said in front of the entire team, don't you dare turn Bolshevik on me. I'm the boss here. I see he also, uh, as he was walking out the door, also called Cobb a horse's ass. Which, by some definitions, kind of fits. The matter finally came to a head when Dutch gave up uh, 12 runs and 20 hits to Philadelphia. um, And Cobb, Ty Cobb kept him in the game for the full nine innings. Well, you don't want to blow your bullpen up. So, I mean. (laughs) But, I mean, come on. Connie Mack even pleaded with Ty Cobb to take him out of the game. He uh, reportedly saying, and I quote, you're killing that boy. And Ty Cobb laughed at the suggestion. And later that month, he put Leonard on waivers and then called around to everybody to make sure no team claimed him. Even his old buddy, Chris Speaker, who he played with and was now manager of the Cleveland Indians, passed on him. So once he cleared waivers, Ty Cobb traded him to Vernon of the PCL. But you never know what you never guess what happened. He probably got he refused suspended. to report. Yeah, and that was it for his baseball career. Not what we would call an easy guy to work with. The one thing about him, he was good with money. He had invested in grapes and grape orchards, and he did really, really <laughs> well. There's always with money in bananas and grapes. So true. Now here's where it gets kind of nasty. He was pretty bitter about how he was treated by Ty Cobb and the rest of the league. So he decided he was going to exact his revenge. In the uh, 1926 season, Dutch Leonard told American League President Ban Johnson that on September 24th, 1919, he had conspired with Cobb, Chris Speaker, and Indians outfielder Joe Wood to place bets on the following day's games against the Indians. Speaker had promised to lose in order to help the Tigers finish in third place. And the Tigers did go on to win the game 9-5. to Leonard, who did not play in the game, said he put up the money to bet on the outcome, and he made a whole $130 as his share of the winnings, according to him. Ban Johnson, when presented with this information, went to Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker and told them that their days as uh, in the American League were over and convinced them both to resign from their managerial positions in, uh, after 1926 season. Ban Johnson wasn't the most liked guy either. In fact, he was on the real bad side of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the first commissioner of baseball. Landis decided he was going to launch his own investigation. So he sends notice to Leonard, hey, come to Chicago, and we're going to talk to you about what, what happened. Well, he was like, no, I'm not coming to Chicago. You know, this is the, he was just an obstinate guy. Of course, Cobb, Speaker, and Wood said they were innocent. This was just some guy trying to, to get even. It's vengeance. They wanted an opportunity to face their accuser. And when they tried to put that together, Leonard just said, nah, not interested. 
there was a, a lack of evidence to corroborate the game fixing charge. Kind of interesting. Cobb was supposed to be playing the game to win, was one for five with two steals. Speaker, who was supposedly throwing the game, went three for five with two triples. That didn't add up. Leonard's unwillingness to come to Chicago. Kennesaw Mountain Land has publicly cleared Cobb and Speaker of any wrongdoing prior to the 1927 season. Cobb signed with the Philadelphia Athletics where he concluded his Hall of Fame career. Tris Speaker was sold to the Washington Senators. Leonard spent the rest of his days uh, still, you know, would tell anybody that asked him that Ty Cobb was not his best friend. And uh, he uh, got married to a vaudeville dancer, which is pretty awesome. And uh, the money from his grape growing business, he earned a very comfortable retirement. And it was on a 25 acre plot of land. Among his prize collections was a record collection, totaling 150,000 records. Leonard uh, died in 1942 of a heart attack at the end of his life. He left to his sister, four nephews and a niece, an estate totaling more than $2.1 million. And that is the evil Dutch Leonard. Now, I'm going to poke a hole in your, in your evil theory here. I, I definitely slanted things, I'm admitting. <laughs> so, you mentioned the grapes. And he became, mm-hmm. he was very successful after he, after he retired with grapes, and he also made wine with the grapes. Unfortunately, in 1942, by executive order, uh, all Japanese and Japanese-Americans in the country were forced into internment camps, which is just, uh, we're not even going to get into that. He was, uh, he had a neighbor who was a Japanese-American who, of course, had to go to one of these camps. And Dutch actually looked after his land while he was interned and even gave him all of the profits that he had accumulated over the years while he was in, interned. While he did seem to be a bit of a, a jerk, he, he did really step up there and do, he did the right thing and seemed to be a, a pretty decent person sometimes. Dude, you're raining on my evil parade. Also, an expert left-handed golfer. I don't know why they have to stress the left-handed part you could just say he was an expert golfer it's not like golf is harder if you're left-handed other than finding <laughs> left-handed clubs but that's just well me. i heard that he made a tournament and then refused to show up because the money wasn't enough i'm just saying <laughs> well that would fly I, I would buy that i would 100 percent buy that. i made that up but it's probably true oh see that's it <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would I was hook line and sinker there. You got me. I, yeah. I got a. I'm looking through his numbers here, and a couple of things jumped out at me. First of all, you mentioned World Series. He appeared in and won two World Series with the uh, with the Boston Red Sox in 1915 and 1916. He it's kind of strange. I I don't know if they swept both of those series, but he only appeared in one game in both of those series. Complete games, both games, nine innings, uh, eight hits total between the two, an ERA of one, and a whip of .667 for 18 innings worth of of World Series pitching. Struck out nine and walked four. Very effective in the postseason. He he could pitch. He was a good pitcher. He just didn't get along with, you know, humans. Anybody. (laughs) Also, I noticed this looking at his his transactions. You mentioned in 1918, he was traded by the Red Sox to the Yankees. One of the guys he was traded for was Ray Caldwell. He of the struck by lightning, but continuing to pitch fame. 
Oh, yes, that guy. Yeah, so uh, that's obviously somebody we've talked about before, but also just some great names also involved in the trade. Uh, Not so much for maybe what they did on the field, but just for having great names like Frank Galuli, Slim Love, uh, who sounds like a wrestler from the 1980s, and (laughs) Roxy Walters. He was also later traded for Everett Spikes and Buck Redfern. So just some great, I, I just love old, old-timey old baseball names. Man, I, Buck and Dutch. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, man. And, and Home Run. Oh, that's just one guy, but you know what I mean. Red. <laughs> How many guys named Red? Well, we remember we did the in the nickname episode, the most popular nickname of all time was Lefty. That's right. Followed by Red. That's so, right. Lots of those guys. Just another promo for another past episode if you need to go back and listen. That's to all we them. do anymore. That's all we do is push the previous yeah, it's just clip shows now. All right. Well, that was awesome. I, you know, I had heard of Dutch Leonard. I am not sure which of them I'd heard of. I'm guessing it was the evil Dutch Leonard is who I had heard of before when I heard Dutch Leonard. But that's, that's most cool. likely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap up the main segment of the show. So you know what that means. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Hero. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the junk wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? I like to stick with the theme of the show. And since um, the good Dutch Leonard played for the Dodgers, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. All right. So I am going to see. Now, normally I I go with the rivals, so I would go with the Giants. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you and I'm going to stick with the theme of the show. And the other Dutch Leonard mostly played for the Red Sox. So I'm going to I'm going to go with the Red Sox. Okay, we we, we cool. both picked the losing team of the LCS for their respective. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> even intentional. Look no. at that. All right. So for this week, Mark, we've got uh, something kind of fun here. We have talked about some art 
on this show many times. We even had the artist himself, Daniel Horeen. I will put all his links in our show notes, by the way, if you want to check out his art. He had a piece uh, that he just retired uh, last week of Edgar Martinez, and uh, Edgar was nice enough to sign uh, some copies, if you wanted them, of this artwork. And as Daniel often does, when he gets these guys, he will do a YouTube live, uh, you know, a live interview with these players. And he did so with Edgar last week. I have bought many pieces, as Mark has from him. And when he sends you the pieces, he includes a pack of baseball cards. So I happen to have a pack of baseball cards here from the Raleigh Fingers piece that I got, uh, that I bought which was autographed, as well as the Dave Stewart autographed piece. So I've got two packs of baseball cards here. One is a 1988 score, and the other is a 1988 Donruss. So we've got two 1988 cards here, uh, packs that we're going to open, that came in the artwork. All right, uh, one thing here, Mark, though, uh, the score cards have 17 cards in it, and the Donruss only have 15. So whoever gets the pack of score... We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to remove two cards. So, Mark, uh, I have got uh, the Donruss and the score. Which would you like to go with? I would like to take the Donruss. All right. So you're gonna take the uh, the Donruss. So we will go ahead and we will open these up, and we are gonna be looking at 1988 is the year these are from. Uh, I've got a Stan the Man Musial uh, puzzle pieces there. I'm pulling for that Greg Jeffries. Yep. Yep. Well, we've got. Uh, you're gonna start off with another Met. This is a second baseman, and it is Keith Miller. Keith Miller? Man, I second base Mets. I'm thinking Wally Backman. Let's see here. So Keith Miller uh, spent nine years in the big leagues. Uh, he had a pretty good career. Five years with the Mets, four years with the Royals. 1988 was his second year with the Mets. He appeared in 40 games. He hit 214 with a 276 on base, a 300 slugging. That is good for a 70 OPS+. Plus. And that equates to a war of minus 0.6. That's a good start. That is uh, that is not a good start. Uh, nothing on this card is going to help you out. He is not wearing batting gloves, which uh, I will give him props for that. Uh, always one of my favorite things. He was traded by the Mets to the Royals, but he was traded with Greg Jeffries and Kevin McReynolds. And he was oh, traded for Bill Picota and our favorite rapper, Brett Saberhagen. Interesting. But uh, let's see. That is a minus 0.6 to start out with. I like the way that this is going so far. Yeah, that makes one of us. All right. <laughs> Your next card is a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. It is Jose De Leon. Jose De Leon. I remember uh, remember that card. He's like in a windup. Yep. He's, they're wearing the, I liked these White Sox uniforms. They're on the road, but it's got the curly C on the hat and then Chicago in script across the chest and their jersey number on their left thigh of their pants. Oh, interesting. I don't remember that. So Jose De Leon led the league in losses twice during his career. He pitched for 13 years in the big leagues and twice lost 19 games. Wow. 1988, though, he did have a winning record. He was with the Cardinals, actually, this year. He ended up being 13-10 and 10 with a 3.67 ERA, but only a 95 ERA+. plus. Hmm. He uh, had 208 strikeouts that year, led the league the next year in strikeouts. But in 1988, that equates to a war of 2.8. Nice. 
Uh, just not being a negative makes me happy. Yeah, nothing on this card is gonna gonna help you out at all. So that'll bring you up to two point two, but that's definitely a nice rebound. Next, uh, you're just missing a Hall of Famer here. One of those mm. guys that should be in the Hall of Fame. He does have real stirrups, though. It is for the Detroit Tigers second baseman Lou Whitaker. One of my all-time favorites. All right, let's see. Sweet Lou, Lewis Rodman Whitaker. 19 years in the big leagues, every single game with the Detroit Tigers. He was the rookie of the year in 1977. He was a member of the 1984 World Series team, a five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner, and a four-time Silver Slugger winner. 1988 was the end of of his uh, 1987 was the end of his five-year all-star run so no awards in 1988 doing Lou Whitaker stuff 275 376 419 that is a 127 OPS plus stole 143 bases in his career not bad and all of that equates to a war of 3.5 for Lou Whitaker it always count on Lou plus he's got those real stirrups so that'll be 3.6 That'll take you to five five point eight overall. All right, so uh, you're at five point eight. Your next card is a pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. It's Bruce Ruffin. Bruce, two minutes for Ruffin. Oh, <laughs> I like that one. I definitely remember the name. I think I remember him more with Colorado than anybody else. But he was in the league for twelve years, six of it with Philadelphia. Nineteen eighty eight, he went six and ten, an eighty one ERA plus. Three saves, uh, three complete games. So <laughs> he kind of did everything. Oh, that's interesting. Three complete games and three saves in the same season. All of that equates to a war, though, of a minus 0.6. Great. It's kind of odd. He's got some good lettuce hanging out the back of his hat here, but nothing on this card is going to help you out at all. He had a rough job being a closer in Colorado. Uh, did you know that his son Chance played for the uh, Seattle Mariners at one point? Chance Ruffin? Yeah. I don't really have a recollection of it, no. He was also promoted to the big leagues when the Phillies released Steve Carlton and took Steve Carlton's place. Wow, big boots to fill. All right, so you're at 5.2. Your next card is, uh, we've had him quite a few times. Here he is when he was with the Guardians. It is Brett Butler. Greatest bunter of all time. Uh, Let's see, Brett Butler, center fielder, nicknamed Bugsy. I think we've covered that before. 1988, he led the league in runs scored. I'm guessing he, well, actually, he did that twice during his career. Uh, Also had 43 stolen bases, was thrown out 20 times. 287 average on base of 393, which is great. And uh, ended up with a 133 OPS plus. All of that equates to a war of 6.8. Yikes. Could always count on him. That is a huge number. I mean, that's elite war. For yeah, that's, that's awesome. He was, a, he was a fantastic baseball player. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I liked him, obviously, because he ran a lot. 558 stolen bases in his career. Caught 257 times. Never led the league in stolen bases, but he did lead the league three times and caught stealing. Led the league in walks once. Was always right around 90 and had a career on base of 377. 377 career. Defensively, also, he was a wizard. Um, in what was it, 17 seasons? He made 41 errors. That is it. <laughs> Very good defensively. All right, so you're at 12 even. Your next card is a show favorite. It is time for Seattle catcher 
It's time for a Valley Rally, Dave Valley. Uh, you got to love Dave Valley. You do. I'm not sure you're going to love it that much. No, uh, I'm mean, stat-wise, probably not. But uh, he's just a great guy. 13-year veteran catcher in the big leagues uh, 93 games for the seattle mariners in 1988 only hit 231 which is his career average is 237 so right on par 90 ops plus and a war of, it's in the positive so it's 0.9 i'll take that yeah nothing else on this card's gonna help you out though unfortunately i think for dave's sake we're not gonna relive the beer uh, pitcher crisis in the bar across the street from the kingdom nah, let's not do that we've probably uh Probably run that one into the ground. So you're at 12.9. Next, you've got, boy, if one of us would have picked the White Sox, we'd be doing really well. Another White Sox catcher, it is Bob James. That one I don't recognize. I don't really remember Bob James either. Bob James, eight years in the big leagues, a lot of it with Montreal, five years in Montreal. 1987, unfortunately for you, was his final year in the big leagues. So there are no numbers for Bob James. Oh, man. He became the White Sox closer in, uh, later in his career. Yeah, when he, he came over to the White Sox, he was traded by the Expos to the White Sox for former guest Vance Law. Hey, how about that? Yeah, also a first-round pick in 1976 by the Expos. Huh. One of the, oh, this is something, I don't, I don't think we've ever pulled one of these guys. One of the few guys in, in baseball that ended up being traded for himself. He was traded to the Tigers uh, yes. for a player to be named later in 1982 and was later returned to the Expos as that player in 1983. That's happened like a handful of times. Yeah. I mean, you know, they got the right value. They traded him for himself. Yeah. You know that both teams, you know, walked away feeling good about that. They, they didn't feel like they were taken advantage of. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you're at 12.9. Next, you've got uh, Tigers outfielder Scott Lucader. I remember Lou Sader. Oh, I'm trying to think of anything about him, though. Well, he played for only five years in the big leagues. I, I thought he had a longer career than that. Five years, four of which were with the Tigers. And then in 91, he appeared in 11 games for the Yankees. In 1988, he was only uh, up for 16 games, only hit 0.63. So I'm guessing this isn't mm. going to help you a whole lot here. That is a war of minus 0.3. Good news for you is he is wearing glasses. So that's only going to be minus 0.2. And I remember Lucader always had glasses on. The big science teacher-like ones. Wow, I, we have talked about Scott Lucader before. Because in 1990, he tied a major league record by committing three errors in the outfield in a single inning. Ouch. And I remember we, we just talked about this maybe two months ago or so, where we, we went through them all, uh, the, the problems that he had out there in a single inning. But uh, that is it for Scott Lucader. That'll take you to 12.7. And next we get a, oh, this is a good looking card. Catcher for the Chicago Cubs at this point, Jody Davis. Yeah, Jody Davis. Um, don't ever, I feel like I remember him as a Boston Red Sox player. Let's see, Jody Davis. I remember him definitely as a Cub more than anything. He has spent 10 years in the big leagues, eight with Chicago and three with Atlanta. Uh, same idea. Uh, 1988, he split time between the Cubs and Atlanta. Only appeared in two games in Atlanta. And uh, overall, 84 OPS plus and a war of, oh, it's a positive, 0.3. Well, I had a minus 0.3 last time, so it's a wash. Yeah, it, it, all, it all adds up. All right, uh, next you have got a Diamond King. 
Now, how this guy ever got a Diamond King, I'm not sure. We're going to have to look at his stats. Pitcher for the Phillies, Shane Raleigh. Raleigh pitched you know, 10, 11 years, I think. Let's see. Shane Raleigh, 12 years in the big leagues. Five yeah, he with was the a Phillies. Mariner. Four with Seattle. Yeah. So he came up with the Mariners. 78 through 81, he's, he was with Seattle. Went 20 and 31 for the Mariners. So it was probably their opening day pitcher a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's see, in 88, his second to last year, uh, went 8 and 16 with the Phillies. Well, that hurt. A 85 ERA plus and a war of positive 0.3. Wow. I'm going to give you another tenth of a point, too, because the, the, the picture of him, the drawing, uh, is no doubt real stirrups. So that'll get Definitely. you to a positive 0.4. All right, so you're at 13.4. You've got a couple of cards left. You've got five cards left here. Next, you've got outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. It's Jim Dwyer. Jim Washer and Dwyer. Oh, very nice. I believe he played for quite a while. Wow. He played for a lot of teams. 18 years in the big leagues. In those 18 years, never an all-star, never led the league in any categories, but he was a member of the 1983 World Series team in Baltimore. And his nickname was Pigpen. Nice. I'm guessing, I am guessing he always got his uniform dirty. That would be my, my guess. I like that. Stole 18 bases in uh, 88, split time between Baltimore and Minnesota. Ended up with a 111 OPS plus, so you might get some war out of this. Uh, let's see. With Minnesota, he had a .5 war. With Baltimore, he had a minus .2. So you'll get a .3 out of this. Uh, nothing I'm, else on I'm this card. I'm hitting the point threes good. nonstop. Yeah. Weird. That'll bring you up to 13.7. Bill James in 2014 named Dwyer the number four greatest bench player of all time. Wow. But I mean, that's how you stick around for that long is you can, oh, you can play multiple positions and you come off the bench and, and get the job done. This is true. You'd be a professional and you produce in any capacity for your team hey someone's gonna want you yep all right so you're at 13.7 next we've got a pittsburgh pirate outfielder darnell coles also once a mariner yep he uh, came up with the mariners dc was his nickname 1988 he split time between pittsburgh and then he went back to seattle for the end of the season ended up with a 115 ops plus for the year 15 wow. home runs 326 on base, 438 slugging. All of that equates to a war of 1.3. I was not expecting that. All right, next you're going to get your second Mariner of this pack. A lot of teams, but uh, none of them are Dodgers or Red Sox. Here it is. Henderson here. 60 stolen bases. Ricky would have had that at all star break. It is Harold Reynolds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Harold, another just, just a cool guy. Had the chance to chat with him a few times and that guy loves baseball. Harold Reynolds, 12 years in the big leagues, the bulk of it with the Mariners, 10 years. 1988, good news for you, all-star year. Nice. Let's see. Also won the gold glove that year. So you're going to rack up a whole point right there, just out of that. Also led the league in triples and caught stealing. Ended up with 250 career stolen bases, 138 caught stealing. That is actually not a very good percentage. <laughs> Uh, but he did have a 100 OPS plus this year, right on the league average. That equals a war of 1.8 plus the whole point will bring you up to 2.8 for Harold Reynolds. That works. 
bring you up to 17.8. We've covered Harold before, so we're just going to move on to the next, who is a pitcher for the Cardinals, Danny Cox. Danny Cox. Oh, I do remember him as a, as a Cardinal. I, I only remember him as a Cardinal. Let's see. He spent 11 years in the big league, six of which were with St. Louis. Finished up his career in Toronto. Also played in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. 1988, not a good year record-wise. Uh, ERA wasn't too bad. He went 3-8 and eight with a 3.98 ERA. Good for an 88 ERA+. plus. If we total that into a war total, it is a positive 0.7. Wow, I didn't expect that either. Uh, all right, you're at 18.6, and your final card of the pack is good news for me because it's a Boston Red Sox. Ah. It's one of the guys that we like that is not Mike Greenwell, nor Jody Reed. It's Ellis Burks. I was just going to guess Ellis Burks. <laughs> Ellis Burks, I remember from the Red Sox and the Rockies. Uh, also, wow, played for Cleveland, San Francisco, and the White Sox as well in his 18-year career. 1988 was the second year in the big leagues, 144 games, stole 25 bases, hit 18 home runs, knocked in 92, hit 294, 367 on base, a 481 slugging, a 132 OPS plus. This could be good for you. That equates to a 5.3 war. Wow. I'll take that. Yeah, that is not bad at all. That brings your total up to 23.9. That is a a very good total. I'm not unhappy with that. That's good. That's good. All right. So now let's shift gears and let's go to my pack. So I am going to be opening this 1988 score because they have two extra cards. What I've done is I have uh, entered numbers one through 17 at random.org and uh, I randomly chose two numbers, 11 and 16. So I'm going to open this pack up and the 11th and the 16th card I am going to remove and I am not going to get to keep those. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll keep them, but I'm not going to get their value. <laughs> I, just, I knew what you meant. Just rip them up. Just tear them up. And them away. Burn All them right, right one, then two, and there. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. All right. So the cards that I am jettisoning, one of them is one of my favorite cards of all time. It's Jose Leaned. But the reason I love it so much is he is, oh boy, I bet you this is probably worth quite a bit. One, he's jumping over Ryan Sandberg, who is sliding into him at second base, trying to break up a double play. Chico, though, has uh, some flip-down sunglasses on. It's in Wrigley, and he's just straddling Rhino. So that's a good card. And my other card is Shane Mack of the Padres, who's got real stirrups. He's got a good mustache. We're not counting those anymore. But was also that big uh, big member of the Team USA in 1988 that never really, or uh, 1984. Shane Mack, I remember mostly as a Minnesota twin. Yeah, that's who, that's who he came up with. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to lose those two guys. But uh, I can see here my first card is a Hall of Famer. So I'm going to start. Ouch. I'm going to start in a good, good place here. It is none other than George Brett. Well, that's a good place. Yeah, you can't really go wrong there. So uh, George Howard Brett, a.k.a. Mullet, 19, well, let's look at some of his superlatives. First of all, obviously a Hall of Famer. Uh, he won the MVP award in 1980, was a member of the 85 World Series team, 13-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger, won the batting title three different times. 1988 was his final All-Star year, so I'll get extra points for that as well. Appeared in 157 games, only hit 307, 
24 home runs, 103 RBI. George Brett stole 14 bases at the age of 35 and ended up with a 149 OPS+. All of that equals a 5.2 war, and that will bring me up to 6.7 with the Hall of Fame and All-Star ballot. I'm digging Wow, that was an score, man. I am surprised at the number of stolen bases George Brett had. He ended up with 201. He not only stole 14 in 1988 at the age of 35, the next year at the age of 36, he stole 14 again. And then in his final year in 1993, at the age of 40, he stole seven. I had no idea he stole that many bases. Me neither. George Brett liked to run. He was pretty good at it, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about George Brett quite a few times before. Uh, I don't think we've ever mentioned that George Brett is actually the guy that is credited with coming up with the phrase, the Mendoza line about Mario Mendoza, huh. which of course we've covered. His career average was actually 215, but the Mendoza line is of course 200. All right, next uh, I've got a guy. We've had this guy on the last three Wax Packs Heroes. It is, here he is with the Rangers. It's Pete O'Brien. <laughs> we have. Pete's been sticking around. I wonder I wonder who has appeared the most on Wax Wax Heroes. It might be That's Pete O'Brien. I don't know. But uh, let's see, 1988 with the Texas Rangers. Uh, let's see, 16 home runs, 71 RBI, 272 average, 408 slugging, a 111 OPS plus, and that equals a 3.1. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to help me out. Uh, since we have had him in the last two episodes, we're not going to we're not going to look for anything else there. We're just going to move on to the next card, who is who is none other than outfielder for the Detroit Tigers, John Grubb. Johnny Grubb. John uh, went on to uh, found Grubhub, and he did not. <laughs> I am I'm making that up. But Johnny Grubb is wearing glasses in this in these in this picture here, so that's a good thing. John Grubb, sixteen years in the big leagues. I, I would have never guessed that, was a member of the 1984 Detroit Tigers World Series team. And unfortunately, though, 1987 was his final year in the big leagues. So oh. I will get nothing except for glasses money there. So I get an extra tenth of a point just from those science teacher glasses. That brings me up to 9.9. .9. All right. I'm at 9.9 .9 after three cards. I like where this is going. Next, we've got outfielder for the Yankees, Dan Pasqua. Yeah, Pasqua, I, I mostly remember playing for the White Sox. Yeah, he spent 10 years in the big league, seven of which were with the White Sox, three years in the Bronx, where I remember him because Ricky was on those teams in uh, in New York. 1988, appeared in 129 games. Uh, let's see, hit 20 home runs, 50 RBI, uh, slugging a 417 and an OPS plus of 101. That equates to a war of 1.9. Definitely nice. has real stirrups in this picture. So that'll get me an even 2.0, not wearing batting gloves. I like it. That's going to definitely be a rule uh, after this season when we update rules. If you're not wearing batting gloves, you're going to get extra points. You get respect points. Yeah, I like that. All right, next, I've got a picture for the A's here. It is Joaquin Andujar. Joaquin Andujar. That guy was something. How do you spell that? Very carefully. Let's see, Joaquin Andujar, 13 years in the big leagues. He came up with Houston. Yes. Then he went to St. Louis, Oakland for two years, and then finished again in Houston in 1988. His final year, he went two and five, 
4.0 ERA, 83 ERA plus, and that equaled a war of minus 0.3. And unfortunately, because he's on the A's at this point, he's wearing the two and ones. So that is a minus 0.4. He wasn't the worst hitter in the world. Uh, one thing I remember about him is that he would go up to the plate and he would swing out of his shoes. I mean, he would take the biggest hack in the world. And I don't even know if he had his eyes open because it was like, Hey, if I hit it, awesome. I'm the pitcher. I'm supposed to get out. If I do connect, it's going out of the ballpark. Swing hard so, in case you hit it. Yeah, exactly. That was Joaquin Andujar. He hit five career home runs, you know, and, and hit a, a robust buck 27 career-wise. 1984, what a year. All-star, led the league in wins with a 20-14 and 14 record, 3.34 ERA, four shutouts, led the league in innings pitched and hit batters, but and, and only had an ERA plus of 105. Weird. So this has the Andujar pitched in the 1985 World Series, which we had just talked about. This, in fact, this game that we're going to talk about, actually, Dinkinger's infamous call was in Game Six, not Game Seven. But uh, Andujar was ejected in Game Seven of a World Series, mind you, and he was so mad that he went in and he destroyed the uh, toilet and the sink in the visitors' clubhouse, and was My fined. Gosh. He was only fined five hundred dollars. <laughs> but uh, how how do you destroy a toilet and a sink? I, I mean, that I takes you a take temper. a bat to it, and you just destroy it. Okay. Andujar also served a season long suspension when uh, police say they found him dealing drugs to teammate Lonnie Smith in 1982. I remember something about that. I mean, I was really little, but yeah, that had to do with the Pittsburgh drug trials, which we've talked about a little bit, and then. When Andujar came back for his first game after that suspension, who happened to be behind home plate for the game? Umpire Don Denkinger. Okay, moving on to my next card. I'm at 11.5. We've got outfielder for the Rangers, Bob Brower. Brower. Sounds familiar. Four years in the big leagues, uh, three of it with Texas. Final year in 89 with the Yankees. 1988 ended up with a 66 OPS+. plus. So I'm not going to hold my breath here. That is good for a war of minus 0.2. And he's wearing two and one stirrups. So that's, I'm at the, I'm on the point threes as well, but I'm on the minus point threes. Yeah, that's no fun. And that takes me down to 11.2. Next, I've got, uh, I'm going to get some good points here because uh, he's wearing real stirrups and he's got flip down sunglasses. He also has eye black. Do I get double eye points for that i don't think i do oh yeah uh, <laughs> why wouldn't it, you it is third baseman for the angels doug DeSenses. douglas vernon DeSenses, 15 year big league career nine with the orioles six with the angels and one with the cardinals i yeah his time with the orioles was before i was into baseball because i had no memory of that but i vividly remember him with the angels unfortunately though doug retired in 1988 so I am going to get no points from that other than the uh, the point two from the flip downs and the real stirrups. So at least I'm going in the right direction. Doug DeSenses and uh, Jim Palmer, not good buddies. Oh. Uh, at one point, uh, Palmer criticized DeSenses' defense, saying he was reluctant to get in front of the ball. And then DeSenses said, ask anybody. They're all sick of him. We're a 24-man team and one prima donna. He always oh. thinks it's always somebody else's fault. Wow. Palmer then went on to, to to blame the feud on Brooks Robinson by saying that if Brooks hadn't been the best third baseman of all time, I wouldn't have expected all these plays to be made by DeSenseis. 
<laughs> totally okay. Brooks Robinson's fault. Ducense's went on to play for the Occult Swallows, and uh, he was also a consultant on the 1992 film Mr. Baseball, one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. Mr. Baseball was a fun one, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I really like that movie. So uh, next, uh, let's move on. I am at 11.4. Next, I've got pitcher for the Mets, John Mitchell. You got me on this one. I do not remember John Mitchell either, but 1988, this was the time when I knew every single player in the league because I had all these cards, but I do not yeah. remember John Mitchell. Uh, let's see. John Mitchell, five years in the big leagues, 1988 with the Mets. He appeared in a single game for a single inning, gave up two hits, walked one, struck out one, gave up no runs. But I'm going to guess that's not going to help. Well, it's a point one. I'll take it. Yeah. And he also has real stirrups on. So <laughs> I've been much worse. I started out like a like a, a ball of fire here and I'm just barely treading water now. October 30th, 83, after uh, his first season in the minors, he went on a fishing trip with two other minor league pitchers off the coast of Florida, and their boat capsized. The uh, boat owner and one of the other pitchers drowned. The other pitcher and Mitchell survived over 24 hours in the water by clinging to debris. Whoa. One held on to a cooler, and Mitchell kept, was kept afloat by a bucket for 22 hours. My gosh. And he named one of his children after the pitcher that drowned. I thought you were going to say you named one of his children Bucket. All right. So I'm at 11.6. Next, I have got pitcher for the California Angels, Willie Frazier. I remember Willie from, I think, the, the Tigers. Yeah, that's, I was just going to say that. It's funny. Let's see if we're right. Or I'm thinking of Willie Hernandez. Let's see. Yep, because Willie Frazier pitched for eight years, five with the Angels, and then one uh, spent part of the year with St. Louis, Montreal, Florida, and Toronto. So we were definitely, I think we were thinking of Willie Hernandez. It's weird we were both thinking that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, prolific pitcher in 88. He went 12 and 13 with a 5.41 ERA. Led the league in home runs given up. Lucky. That equates to a war of negative 1.4. Ouch. He does have real stirrups on those, so it'll only be a minus 1.3. That'll bring me to 10.3. All right, next I've got pitcher for the Dodgers, so this is good news for you. That's a minus half a point right off the right off the get-go for me. It is Ken Howell. Yeah, Ken Howell. I remember pitcher. Was he a reliever? Uh, let's see. Yes. Actually, well, he was until his final two years in the big leagues when he became a starter. But in 1988, he went 0-1-1, only appeared in one game. He started it. Well, no, he appeared in four games with one start and uh, 12.2 innings, a 54 ERA+. plus. What is with my cards here? Are, are these wow. broken? Uh, that they equates are. to a war of minus 0.4. Uh, he does have real stirrups on, though. He's got a mustache, but we're not doing that. So it's only, again, a minus 0.3, but come on. Next, though, I've got a Hall of Famer. It is a throwback card from 1976 with the Orioles. It's Reggie Jackson. Ooh. So you know, this is a 1976 card, but the, the bylaws of the Wax Packs Heroes game says that we have to go by the year of the cards that we're opening. So it is 1988. Uh, Reggie Jackson's final year in the big leagues was 1987. So I'm not going to get anything other than the Hall of Fame point, plus he's got real stirrups on. So that'll be a plus 1.1. We'll go on to a pitcher, a teammate of Dave Dravecki with the Giants. It's Rick Russell. Oh, sure. R-U-S-H-E-L. 
S-C-H-E-L. Interesting spelling. Didn't want to make it easy on anyone. Let's see. Rick Russell. We're rookie in 1972. And retired wow. 1991. 19 years in the big leagues. And he was an all-star at the age of 40 in 1989. Wow. 1988 might have been his best year, though. He went 19-11 and 11 with a 3.12 ERA. Started uh, league leading 36 times. Ended up with an ERA plus of 105. And that equals a war of 3.7. Very nice. Plus, he's got real stirrups on, so that'll get me a 3.8. I will take that. All right, next, I have got a pitcher. I think of him more with the Twins, but here he is with the Mets, Rick Aguilera. Yeah, I definitely think of the Twins when I think of Aguilera. Rick Aguilera went to BYU. I didn't know that. Yeah, BYU's actually put out quite a few baseball players. Um, Yeah. Vance Love being one of them who we've talked to. Also, Corey Snyder. Let's see. 1988 was his final full year with the Mets. 0-4 with a 6.93 ERA. I wouldn't want him on my team either. That's a 47 ERA plus. Uh, I am afraid that is a minus 0.8 war. Uh, He does have real stirrups on, so it'll only be a minus 0.7, but I'm going in the wrong direction here. Uh, Rick Aguilera, the uh, holder of two World Series rings, in 86, he was on that Mets team, and then 91 with the Minnesota Twins. All right, I'm down to two cards, and I have got uh, a lot of work to do. And uh, I don't think catcher for the Blue Jays, Jeff DeWillis, is going to help me a whole lot. I got no memory of that one. One year in the big leagues, 1987 was it. So, <laughs> all <laughs> At I'm least gonna... it wasn't a negative, Jeff. Yeah, well, he's got real stirrups on, too. So I will take that all day. That'll bring me up to 14.3. I forget. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Uh, let's see. No, somehow he is not. All right, that'll bring me to my last card. It's somebody that we talked about earlier in this show. It is... Dutch Leonard. No, it's not Dutch Leonard. Uh, He managed the Wizard of Aussies in 2005. It is Ozzy Guillen here with the White Sox. Let's see. Oswald Jose Guillen in 1988 was his first All-Star appearance. Uh, Only hit 261, which is right about at his lifetime batting average. He had 25 stolen bases that year, 39 RBI, no power whatsoever, a 71 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 3.4. I get half a point for the All-Star, so that'll bring me up to 3.9, and he has got real stirrups, so that'll be an even 4. Oh, and he's got eye black, so it's at least a 4.1, but it's too little too late because that takes me up to 18.4. Well short of your twenty nine or your twenty three point nine, and that would give you your seventh win versus my four, and you are well on your way to another title here at this point. We're almost nearing the midway point. The skill level it takes to play this game is is getting tougher and tougher. I gotta yeah, admit. Well, you're getting better. You're getting better as you age. Yeah, I think that's it. It's one of those sports. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap up another episode of Wax Packs Heroes. Let us start to wrap up this episode of Two Strike Noise as well. As promised at the beginning of the episode, if you stuck around this long, I'm going to tell you how you can get a hold of us. We're on the social medias. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us on Twitch, on YouTube. Uh, you can, uh, our OnlyFans account has been deactivated, but uh, uh, we also have a email address that Mark likes to look at. Sure, just spell it out. T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. That's an easy one to remember, isn't it? 
Why don't you spell out strike noise as well in case somebody doesn't know how to spell? Because there's no other way to spell, spell strike. Yeah, our, our listeners, our listeners are, are smart enough. All right, so that will do it for another episode. Uh, we will be back undoubtedly for another episode next week. We hope you will be as well. So we will see you then on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Go Astros.